Welcome to Tactical Recon, the place where we find kingdom-building strategies through scholarship, leadership, and action. And here's your host. Today is January 14th in the year of our Lord's Dominion 2022. Welcome to Tactical Recon. I'm Elder Paul Coviello. Sitting beside me is my pastor, the Reverend Dr. Paul Michael Raymond and Ron Kranz. Ron, thank you for coming back. As we left off, we were talking about courage. And in your book, you point out that people in the church today love the security that they are consigned to embracing when they limit Christianity to personal piety in the family and in the church, thereby giving themselves a reason not to confront the fear that we talked about earlier and summon the courage to go out and do the work of building the kingdom, which is central to the Christian religion. Indeed, yeah. Uh, in the previous time together, uh, Dr. Paul said, talked about the gates of hell not prevailing. And it's important to understand, gates are stationary. It's not the church that was supposed to be stationary. It's the gates of hell. We should be assaulting those places. And those are frightening places. When you do street missions like we do a lot of, when you do campus missions, when you do... Uh, public evangelism, when you go, or whatever you do beyond the boundaries of the structure of the church, it's going to be frightening. And that shouldn't dissuade us in light of the promises that we have from Christ. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, when the apostle says, a great and effective door is open for me, and there are many adversaries. And that's really important to understand, is that you've got these open doors that are cohabitating with adversaries. And too many of us, we look at the adversary, and we're waiting for the coast to be clear. You know, we think that when when all the bad guys go away, and if we vote Republican enough, and, 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 and they'll overturn Roe v. Wade, and then everything will be fine. And now we can come out of the holes that we've been hiding in. That's not the way. We're supposed to be going into those doors. And I could give example after example after example. My time in, in Africa has proven that too many times when I've been uh, in war-torn places and baptizing people on Christmas Sunday, and they, they just stopped fighting. I could hear the gunfire in the background and were baptizing children. Seven times I've, been, I've walked across the border between Zambia and Congo in no man's land. Five times they were fighting. The first time I was in Congo, they were fighting when I was preaching. They were rioting in the street, and I kept preaching. And now I've preached on national television in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. That door was open. But if I just look at the adversary, then I, then I automatically retreat preemptively. The enemy doesn't even have to take a shot. And so my thing is, try the door. You know, try it and see what's going to happen. I want to I want to just give an analogy. I used to have an old truck, an uh, 18-foot flatbed. It was 1966 flatbed. And I mean, I couldn't get parts for it. It was just running out of everything. And But it had no power steering, no power brakes. Now, can you imagine how hard that thing was to steer when you were going slow? You could barely steer it. But when you drove it, you could steer it a little bit. And that's like the Christian life, is that God will steer us as we move forward, as we engage that clutch and pull out. But when you're sitting there saying, oh, it's hard to steer, well, yeah, it's going to be until we actually move out. 
I think part of the problem is that we ascribe authority to realms which actually have no authority. You bring this up in your book where you speak about authority's claim. And I think we need to discriminate between legitimate authority and illegitimate authority. You say here, this all introduces the second major attack that we will examine, the presumption of authority. Now, who's the king? Who is the lawmaker? Who's the lawgiver? Who's the judge? And I think we've, we've fallen prey to thinking that if the state says something or if the, the government says something, that automatically, because of their position of authority, they are accurate. They are, they are righteous. But much of what is being done legislatively is unbiblical. It's, un, it's, it's not even unrighteous. It's unnatural. And we, we think that, oh, because Roe v. Wade or, or whatever is, is, is now the law of the land. It's not the law of the land from God's perspective. It is a, an usurpation, although it's a, uh, um, a bastardization of the law. And I think we need, to, we need to recognize that. And we need to challenge the illegitimate claims of authority. And if we see that a magistrate or a law is wrong, we are to, like you said before, when the apostles faced this, we are to obey God rather than man. And, and once we recognize that and become that, and that's something else, we have to become that, that man who says, we will obey God, not man. We know who the true lawgiver is and what is right and walk through that door and see what God does because God is the one who's orchestrating all things and wait for those opportunities. And if we don't see those opportunities. My advice is see if you can make those opportunities. May I add to that, Pastor? Part of what complicates this, and you point this out, Ron, is that the church now has become so inert that when bold, courageous men step forward and speak out against this gross ungodliness, Pastor, the illegitimate authority usurped by and assumed by reprobate men, these people become outraged because the church, by and large, is silent. When one man, st man steps forward, he's not only assaulted by those who are outside the church, he's contested by people inside the church, complicating the problem. And, and to use my favorite example, what did Elijah do? He stood before the people of Israel and said, whoa, 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 how long are you going to vacillate? How long are you going to halt between two opinions? He then mocked the prophets of Baal. He slayed them at the threat of Jezebel. He runs away, tells God, it's enough, it's time to die. He says, no, get up. I got 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his image. And on that alone, he got up and went right back to it. That is fantastic. I, I, I love that kind of talk. It is all about authority. It really is. Nobody cares about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Nobody is going to, nobody is going to, nobody is going to like hunt you down. So people are saying, oh, the church is going to come under. Uh, pretty soon we're going to have a persecution. No, you're not. Nobody's getting persecuted because uh, they have a Bible hidden in their, in their cellar somewhere. Nobody cares about that it's always been about the authority of Jesus Christ. They, that's why Jesus was crucified. It had everything to do with his claim as being Lord, like we said in the earlier time together. Jesus is Lord is a political statement. It's a statement of authority. And that's what, by the way, um, the first command of God to man 
was to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and have dominion. Later, he says, were to tend and to keep. And when he begins engaging with Adam at that level, he describes himself as Lord, Yahweh. And that's the title of one who rules and possesses all things. That's what the fight is about. Who's in charge here? Who's the ruler? Who's in authority here? And then when we see the advent of Jesus Christ being prophesied by Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, what? The government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David. By the way, the throne of David was on earth uh, and over his kingdom to order and establish it with justice and judgment and justice from that time forward. From what time forward? From the advent of Jesus Christ. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we see that this is the primary purpose of the advent of Jesus Christ, is to reclaim what Satan had illegitimately legitimately tried to usurp, as, as, as you said. And just a fun detail about this use of the name Yahweh. Nowhere in all of Scripture do you see any devil, any demon, or Satan himself call the Lord by that name. He always uses, they always use other names. They are reluctant to concede that he is the ruler, that he is the possessor of over all things. And we expect that of demons and devils and of Satan, but it's a disgrace that that's the position of the local church man. Well, the name Yahweh is actually referring to his covenant to his people, and they have no connection to the covenant. That's why they don't take the name Yahweh. But one other point which you're making is not only do we have biblical ignorance within the the clergy, mind you, but we have historical ignorance, maybe even historical amnesia, because when we when we recognize that that Christ is Lord, uh, we see from the beginning the conflict, like you said, was with the state. You say this on page thirty-five. The matter of authority was at the center of the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of that day. Now here's the point: they resist Christ because they covet his influence. You see, this is a sinful uh, manifestation of their quest, their thirst, their lust for power. That's why they want to be as God. So they become not only God in, in, in a vague sense, but as we've seen just recently, in the last couple of few years, you've got them coveting the Trinitarian God, the, the God who is omniscient. They're all wise. They're omnipresent. They're everywhere. They're with your neighbor. They're with the, the sheriff. They're with this guy, that guy. They're all over. And they're omnipotent. They have the, the force of the military. They have the force of the police. So they, they've, they've usurped the, the authority of God by thinking that they are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, and, and all-present. You also said this. In the, in the presence of Christ, they are exposed to what they are, sinful and ordinary. And the only ones that are going to challenge their sin and the fact that they are not supernatural but natural, ordinary, is the church. Yes, and we need to expose them to Christ. We need to expose them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for who he is and what he, is, what he represents both in heaven and on earth. Um, in another one of my favorite passages is in Isaiah 
in the 33rd chapter and the 22nd verse. And in fact, on this next book that I just published, uh, The Beast, the Whore, and the Forgotten Vision, this is a central figure, and I'll read it. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. You have four offices. You have the judge, the lawgiver, the king, and the savior. How do you get to how does the church get to remove any of those titles from him? We have to expose the judges of this world to the true judge. We have to expose the lawgivers of this world to the true lawgiver. We have to expose the pseudo-messiahs of this world, the Anthony Fauci's and the other guys with their God complexes. We have to expose them to the true Christ. We have to expose them to the true king with their king complex. We have to bring down their, we have to cast down arguments and high things that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. That's every argument, every high thing above him must be cast down. Yeah, all those who are, in fact, antichrist must be challenged by the church because you pointed out those men whom we read about in the King James Version as principalities and powers are subject to the ultimate authority of Christ as the lawgiver and King of kings and Lord of lords. If they will not obey, if they will not submit, then the weight of the Christian church must be brought to bear upon them so that they must know and be aware of the judgment and curse of God that abides upon them. And the church must then assert that their rule is illegitimate. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to, um, be off on my statistics here, so because my memory is not what it what it might have what it might have been at one time, but I think I read recently that eighty eight percent of Congress professes Christ. How can that be? It's a different Christ. They don't the know problem. Christ. They haven't been exposed. The Amen. They haven't been exposed to the true Christ. One of the interesting points about exposing man to Christ is we have to recognize that whether they hear or whether they forbear, it's still incumbent upon us to preach the kingdom, the, the Christ, the king of the kingdom. Okay, whether they are going to listen. See, sometimes Christians think, well, I'm going to go out there and preach the gospel and people are going to get saved and then you know, I'll get patted on the back. It's not about that. It's about you're going to preach no matter what the result is because the result is God. Okay, God will bring the result. And my favorite story is the Cameron brothers. During, during the time of the killing times in, in England, the Cameron brothers, they ride into Sanguihar on horses. They open up their scroll. They expose the king for his wickedness before the peasants there. They get on their horses. They ride away. And nothing happens for years later. But they did their duty. And God finally responded and destroyed the tyranny that was enveloping the land. So our duty is to obey the results belong to God. So whether we think that we have a receptive audience or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, how many times have we gone before the county administrators here, the supervisors here, the town or the county or the sheriff, and declared the gospel and said, you are in, in error. You need to do this or that. And whether they laugh at us or not, whether they applaud or not, it doesn't really matter because we stand before the judge, the true judge, God, and we are doing his bidding. And that's really what we need to do. We have, we have the easy job. We just have to tell people what the Bible teaches, what Christ teaches, and let the results be God's. Amen to that. Uh, I'd like to tell people to aim high. 
we have a we have a great God, an awesome God. We shouldn't be settling for scraps that fall from the governor's table to us. We should be aiming high for all authority in every situation. I was in Zambia a number of years ago. I don't know, quite a number of years ago. And I came into t uh, contact with a group of small uh, short-term missions folks, and they were doing a feeding program. And they're doing this feeding program, and they go and they feed these orphan children. And they're children sitting on the ground it, with, about half of them have malaria. A lot of them have malaria. A lot of them are HIV positive. They've never met their father. They're in desperate circumstances. And so they feed these children, which is a good thing to do. And they asked me, the, uh, the, the head of the organization asked me to specifically come. I really didn't have time to be there, but he was emphatic. I want you to come. Please, Ron, we want you to come. So I came and I listened to them do their pitch and they talked to the children and stuff. And, and the leader of the organization asked this small term, this short term group, do you want to say something to the children? Nobody had anything to say. Now, these people had come from like Arizona. That's a long way to have nothing to say. Finally, one guy stepped forward and he says, and this broke my heart. It, it just it really broke my heart. He says, he says, well, we've just come all this way to hope to help in some small way. And I said, how dare you reduce the gospel of Jesus Christ to something that you can get at the YMCA, you know, to, to, to reduce the gospel, the victorious work of Jesus Christ to some small way. It's always been intended for him to have all authority. It's always aim higher than some small way. And so we're getting, like you had quoted from me in the past uh, episode, we get, we tend to hit what we aim at. We're not even aiming for that. Right, right. You say this at the end of your book. You say, as ambassadors of the king, we are rightfully called to claim the land that legitimately belongs to him. Those who have no vision for victory are relegated to biting their nails and saying, he must come again. That, that rapture fever, the rapture rock. Everybody sits on that rapture rock and waiting for Jesus. But you continue here. You say this. Yet for those who fight for the glorious cause of Christ, our declaration is far more robust. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The battle is already won. Do not settle for escape, comfort, friendship with the world, or any other poorly marketed counterfeit. Fight to win. I did say that, and I meant it. Uh, and uh, part of our problem has been what we described earlier as this kind of two-kingdom theology where we say that this is out of Christ's jurisdiction. We place things outside of his jurisdiction, which is problematic and derelict of, of duty. You know, you know I, will, I will say this. The, this two-kingdom mentality that has caused the church to retreat away from the culture, is the reason why the culture, our country, has collapsed, that it is in free fall. And the pathetic thing about all of this is that people in the churches actually see this as a fulfillment of their end-time prophecies, their, their, um, their um, eschatology, so that what is a judgment of the church 
they see as some fulfillment of prophecy indicating that their rapture, their time to be taken out of here is at hand. Right. And so they're so they're awarding them. They're actually saying, because this is supposed to be part of the plan, they can do absolutely nothing and award themselves an A plus for for F minus uh, conduct. You see that in the we were talking about this on the way coming over. When you see the parable of the five talents, two talents and the one talent, this guy, he buries his talent. And and, and there's a critical phrase there. And the listener should pay heed. When he comes into contact with the master expecting a result from what he's given him, he says, I was afraid and I hid. Tell me that doesn't sound like the model of Christianity. We've actually modeled Christianity after the guy under judgment. And that's a big, big problem regarding two kingdom theology. When I talk to other believers about pressing the rights of Christ into jurisprudence and such, uh, often they will say, oh, we just preach the gospel, which they don't, by the way. You can ask them, will you come out on the street with me? Because I do actually preach the gospel on the street at the street level. Will you come out with me? Oh, they're all busy. They don't preach the gospel, but they do care about justice. And may, let me make my point is when they say, we don't worry about those kinds of things. I say, okay, give me your wallet. Oh, suddenly they care all about justice. Oh, they meditate. They're Psalm 119 masters. Oh, I meditate on the law of God day and night. How I love your precepts. Suddenly they want the justice for themselves. And that is not, that's not what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. A disciple of Jesus says, inasmuch as you've not done for the least of these. If we really love the world in which we live, if we really love these people as we purport to do, and if we really love Christ, we will press the rights of Christ into those areas of jurisprudence. Christianity is warfare, but the modern church has turned it into a fireside chat. And that's the problem that we face today. Uh, the plain point of fact is the earth is our Christ's in its fullness. At no time has he surrendered it to anybody. The church's vain attempt to turn it over to the ungodly will not happen because Christ will judge those who fail to assert and to establish the crown rights of King Jesus. He will vindicate his holy name. And it is now our call to the church to repent and to return to her God. In that vein, Ron, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you being here. I, I highly recommend to everybody within earshot of this podcast to get Ron Kronz's book, Fighting to Win. It's critical not just to read, but to take in, to examine oneself against, and to apply very zealously. If I can just uh, plug... Um... We just launched our website, my name, Ron Kronz, R-O-N-K-R-O-N-Z.com. And we blog. We've got uh, stuff coming out there, and you can catch all the books that are coming out accordingly. Fighting to Win is available on Amazon, or you can get it on, on Audible as well. And we have it here at the bookstore at, at New Geneva. But also, next time, uh, Ron, we have you back when I finally get the copy of the new book, you will uh, be back here, the Lord willing, and we'll discuss that as well. I thought maybe we'd get a chance to, to segue into that, but, but, but maybe, maybe next time. So until then, Elder Coviello, 
Thank you all for being with us. We pray that it was edifying. Until next time, may our Lord richly bless you. The Tactical Recon Podcast was brought to you by New Geneva Christian Leadership Academy and the Institute for Theonomic Reformation. To learn more, please visit our website at www.tacticalrecon.org.